Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week we discuss a movie and then one of us suggests the next movie to watch and discuss so you can participate with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I am joined this week by Alicia Walker. Hello. Christine Deacon. Hi. Josh Dean. Hello. Nathan McKinney. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And today we are going to be discussing Josh's suggestion, Chained for Life, in which a beautiful actress struggles to connect with her disfigured co-star on the set of a European auteur's English language debut. Boy, we love those synopses. Um, So uh, first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. Um, I will kick things off um, sticking with my pattern of things that I've watched with other people because... I've recorded so many podcast episodes in the last two weeks. Uh, I'm running out of things that I've watched that I'm willing to admit to uh, on the show. (laughs) Um, You guys don't want to know about the things that I watch that are trash that I just kind of put on in the background. So um, I did see a new movie. Uh, It's called Pig. And it stars Nicolas Cage. And everything about it, including the first half hour, makes it look like it's another super crazy color out of space, uh, uh, Mandy esque Nicholas Cage being a, a weird beard guy who is monosyllabic and has weird goals and motivations. And this movie is so different from that, but it doesn't start out that way because the whole motivation for the movie taking place is that someone steals his prized truffle pig and he goes to get it back. So it's kind of like the setup for Mandy. It's also kind of like the setup for John Wick, um, (laughs) where like his prized pet or whatever, but it's not his pet because it's a truffle pig that he's trained to be the best truffle pig ever um, gets stolen. And then we learn so much, so much about him. Um, expectations subverted at every turn. It is a fantastic movie. Um, watched that one with the Friday Night Crew last week. So um, I know Christine and Josh watched it with me. Um, and there were a couple of other people on there. But uh, yeah, I would recommend it. Um, if you can find it digitally, um, or if you're going to brave, uh, whatever insane, uh, new variants are out there to go see it, go see it. It's, it's a good one. Um, Alicia, what have you been watching lately? Uh, we rewatched, uh, a favorite of mine this last week. Uh, Nathan had, it had been a long time since he had seen it. So we watched heat, um, Michael Mann, and uh, I love it. I admit the more and more I watch it, yeah, I see some things here or there that I'm like, eh, okay, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Still mm-hmm. love it, love it, love it, love it. And I will watch that uh, scene in the coffee shop between Al Pacino and Robert De Niro time and time again. Al Pacino is so over the top and it's so much fodder for all the impersonations of him out there or like all from this movie practically, don't care. Love it. Want to see him amped up on 11 all day. So love watching Heat. And it's got the the soundtrack is just really 
you know, pumping that up and keeping all the momentum going and a good Val Kilmer movie. We watched Val this week as well. So that, you know, kind of uh, is mentioned that, which we forgot to think about. But um, yeah, so anyway, I would recommend to anyone who has not seen it, Heat from 1995 that I saw on my birthday that year. Yeah, I saw that movie on video when it came out on video and uh, was disappointed because there oh. was so much hype and... It just that that very scene that you're talking about, everybody was like, oh, my God, this scene. And by the time I was like all the way down the hype train watching that scene, I was just like, I don't I don't what is going what is happening? I'm sorry. What is even happening? So I should give it another chance, though. Still love it. 1995 was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> Nathan, what have you been watching lately? Um, well, I watched a, a '90s uh, indie film that I'd never seen before, and I, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, it stars um, Parker Posey, Hope Davis, Stanley Tucci, and Lee Shriver, as well as Anne Mira and Pat McNamara. If you guys know who any of those folks are, um, but this movie is called uh, Day Trippers, and essentially. Um, Hope Davis is married to um, Stanley Tucci, who doesn't have a huge role in it, um, but he they seem to be doing just great as a couple, and then she gets kind of a hint that maybe he might be doing something he ain't supposed to be doing in the marriage, and as part of going to consult her family, the whole family decides to drive all the way to New York in their you know, station wagon and try to solve the mystery. Um, I think my favorite character might be Lee Schreiber, actually. Um, who plays a really good-hearted but very backwards uh, opinionated person. Um, so he's he's got kind of like some bad politics going on in his head. <laughs> and uh, Campbell mm-hmm. Scott at some point in the movie really tells him how he's really behind the, t- you know, he's just not quite with it. But he's got a great heart and he's just a great character in it. So, But I really enjoyed the whole movie. I definitely recommend it. Yeah, I saw that quite a long time ago as well. Um, yeah, Leif Shriver's kind of been underrated until recently. I think he finally got a, a big project with Ray Donovan, and mm-hmm. he was very good in, in that. I don't know if they're done with that or if they're going to keep going. I mostly knew him as that guy from Scream. Yeah, same. Uh, that's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I tend to like him and stuff. Um, even if it's an X-Men movie, but he's, he's <laughs> fine. Um, Zach, how about you? Yeah, I uh, have had a chance to see a couple things actually braving those variants in theaters. Um, I, d- I just want to, I'm not going to talk about it cause I'm sure you guys have already talked about it, but I did love the, the suicide squad. Um, we, as we everyone probably said in, we, we, we told everyone when that came out that you liked it. Thank you. And, I appreciate that. And that we were sure that you did. So. Yeah. Yeah. This was, this is another big hit for me for DC. So, you know, still, I'm still trucking have, along. I have a funny story for you on that. Um, so you posted something on Facebook about it. That was like, loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, I don't know if everybody will get the joke, but I sure did. Boy, was it funny. So Bess, who's a mutual friend of Zach and I, uh, started watching the suicide squad and she was so obsessed with trying to figure out what the joke was <laughs> that she like got in her head about it and couldn't watch the rest of the movie. Oh no. And gave up. 
Uh, and I was like, I I don't know what he was talking about. I haven't watched it, and I haven't asked him what the joke is. She was like, is it is it like they're the Guardians of the Galaxy? Like the shark is like like it, like she had this yeah. whole like all these theories about how it's too deep how it played out. It's like <laughs> I'm sure it's something comic book related that that Zach sees that most people won't. You know, I don't think it's a like I don't think it's a Disney slam or anything like that. Like, no. So it's honestly, in my opinion, it's literally the same movie. I just think that James Gunn was like kind of making not making fun of like the fan culture and the whole like blowback with the original Suicide Squad. But Mm -hmm. like if you it starts almost literally, I mean, literally the same way. And then they even at one point make a joke about how Peacemaker and uh, Bloodsport are the same guy because it's the same movie. It's like there's little layers the whole way where James Gunn's just having a laugh at everybody. And I loved it. And I was just like, this is beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Which also was something that Bess was never going to figure out because she had not seen Suicide Squad. It's okay. So <laughs> I'm sorry, Bess, if you're listening, I hope you didn't break your brain. She's not, but I'll tell her tomorrow. I'm we're performing tomorrow. So awesome. So what um, did you want to talk about? I would like to talk about free guy, uh, which is a, yeah, yeah it's a 20th century uh, production. Um, you know, I guess they're not putting Fox on things anymore, but still owned by Disney. Um, so uh, I got a chance to check that out. I had seen a preview for it and I was like, yeah, that'll be fun if I, get a chance to see it i didn't have any real like lust to see it um but a friend of mine was like would you like to go see this with me and i was like sure i haven't gone to see a movie with a friend in a while that'd be fun um and uh yeah i I really enjoyed it i mean it's all about video games which i'm a gamer so i really enjoyed that it's basically deadpool meets video games which is fun um Mm -hmm. and but like um there are little I mean, there's nothing surprising about the plot and the way that it goes, but there are little just uh, fun moments. And there were two cheer moments from the entire audience. Like we're talking Avengers cheer moments in this film because Mm -hmm. people were so excited about certain things that happened. (laughs) Yeah, it it broke all kinds of box office records uh, for the pandemic. Um, and it wasn't expected to do nearly as well as it did. Yeah. Um, it certainly wasn't expected to beat the Suicide Squad's opening weekend, and it it did. Yeah. So um, Disney's already talking about making a sequel. So yeah, I could see it's almost like uh, how they with Wreck It Ralph. Like people, I think too, were surprised with how Wreck It Ralph was when they came out with that sequel. Um, but kind of in that same vein, and also too, it's like they took lessons from Ready Player One and extrapolated on that and really i did an amazing job with not only the digital effects but um ryan reynolds you know he's so palpable you just want to eat him up uh but they had great jokes they had great moments um and and the acting was pretty good even uh there's the i can't remember the actress's name but she's from killing eve and she's like the lead female Uh, and comer yeah yeah and i had never really seen her in anything i just know that she's on killing eve but she does a phenomenal job. I mean, just in terms of acting in a blockbuster popcorn movie, she did she did really well. So, um, you know, kids or no kids, I think people would enjoy this film just based upon the comedy of it. Yeah. Yeah, people also pointed out that it's PG-13, and so that might be part of the reason it 
did better than the Suicide Squad. Yeah, um, that a wider audience could see it, but I I think it has more to do with the whole uh, um, day and date digital thing interfering yeah. with it because uh, this was like this is the kind of the first big uh, pandemic movie that isn't day and date digital. They're they're holding off for like ninety days or something before they put it on Disney Plus. So yeah, so, smart cool. move. Josh, how about you? Yeah, I uh, I did brave the movie theaters this past week uh, to watch The Green Knight. Um, that uh, the guy that made uh, Ghost Story. I don't know um, if any of you guys have seen that one. Um, David Lowry, I think his name is, or that's the lead singer of Jesus Lizard. I'm not sure which. Anyway, or Cracker. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, uh, Lowry. I'm pretty sure is the last name of the director. But he, um, it. I saw it in a pretty packed theater, surprisingly, for the second week it was out. And everybody hated it except for me. Um, so, uh, yeah, just uh, my streak's still going strong. It is not um, It's not an action movie in any way, shape, or form. Um, if you're going to see knights, you know, sword fighting other knights and all sorts of, yeah, dramatic clashes, don't, don't go to that movie. Um if you want to see copious amounts of spooge on screen, you can go see this movie. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really well made. It's there's some really beautiful moments in it. Um, there's some great acting. Um, the the beautiful moments do not include the spooge. If that's what you're okay. wondering, I'm sorry, um, but. Yeah, 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 yeah. Spooge? Spooge, yeah. There's uh there's some That's pretty... how he says splooge. Yes, yes. Spooge, splooge, whatever. It's man batter. It's baby I know what batter. you're talking yeah, about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <coughs> anyway, it's uh it's quite a film. And um yeah. It wasn't a pronunciation thing or a miscomprehension <laughs> thing. It was a Really? Thing? Really? Yeah. 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 I was I was just as shocked as as you guys are to uh, to have seen it. I was like, oh oh my, that just happened. Um, I just yeah. like how you followed that up with there were some really beautiful moments. And there's, there's some beautiful, beautiful it's so there's beautiful. some very beautiful moments. Yeah, in between. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, a twenty four. There, I really like pretty much everything they put out. Yeah. Like, yeah. Same. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, Dev Patel, I guess, from Slumdog Millionaire, um, is the the mm-hmm. main. He's Sir Gawain. Uh, does an amazing job. Um, Joel Edgerton turns in a pretty good performance. Um, it's very episodic. Uh, there's a magical fox in it, which reminded me of Antichrist a little bit. But in, that's the only way it reminded me of Antichrist. <laughs> um, that and the spooge. That and the spooge. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. So uh, anyway, um, Green Knight, though, if you're into contemplative uh, movies, um, it, it was actually a really good companion piece to Pig, I felt like. Um, they mm. had the same vibe to them, for sure. Um, right on. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Christine, how about you? So, uh, Alicia kind of mentioned it earlier, but I did watch Val also this weekend. Um, it was very good. I uh, really enjoyed uh, watching that and listening to uh, Val Comer's son uh, do the voiceover for him for his documentary. Um, I did not know he did some Mark Twain stuff right before he uh, got diagnosed with his cancer. Oh, yeah. I did not know that at all. 
Um, but I loved seeing him all dressed up in the Mark Twain costume and everything. That was beautiful. Yeah, he um, decided he was Mark Twain for a couple of years there. Yeah, yeah, I, I noticed. That was great. Um, probably my favorite part, just him walking around as Mark Twain, just up and down the street, just full Mark Twain. Yeah. Loved it. Loved it. He's a character, for yeah. sure. Yes, he is. Um, so our movie this week was the Chained for Life, Josh's suggestion, and just throwing out a wild guess, Josh is the only one who's seen this movie before. Uh, Zach, let's start with you. What did you think of Chained for Life? I definitely thought it was interesting. Um, I I didn't have any real expectations going into it. Um, obviously, you see you know, the thumbnail for it on IMDb or just watch. And, you know, you kind of get, you're like, okay. And I've seen that, um, uh, actor in, uh, uh, what the Scarlett Johansson film, um, where she's an alien. Why can't I remember it? Under the skin. Under um, the skin. Yeah. And he has like a really small part in under the skin. Yeah, um, I forgot he was in that. So, yeah. So I, I was like, okay, so this is, you know, going to be about uh, people with deformities and things of that nature. What I had just probably the only hard time with, like I really liked the performances and I enjoyed the storytelling aspect of it, but I had a hard time following the timelines and or the um, the movies that they were also creating. Um, I think on a second watch, I'd probably be able to keep that more in, in track. So um, that was really the only thing that I was kind of a little thrown off by, but like especially when they do the acid thing and the guy's like real acid on a set who did this and you're like oh shit they really did do and then it's not because then it's like it's like they're making a movie which is which is fun <coughs> excuse me so i really I, I enjoyed that aspect of it where they're they're all trying to do storytelling and things like that uh and then um one thing that I was like very curious about, I guess I'm curious to know more about this filmmaker and the film in general it, with people probably filling in stuff and Josh probably knows more. Um, but um, that the, the whole, actual maker of this movie and not the director that's in the movie. Yes, Eric exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're having a one cut of the dead flashback. <laughs> issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing I thought though, is that final, almost pretty much final scene where she's in the car with the taxi driver and uh and they're they're not showing you the taxi driver because earlier it was mentioned when they're talking when they're doing the shadow shot he's like why am i in the shadows and the director's like because we're building it up you know like it's going to be a moment and then you appear and then it's a thing and i was like that taxi driver is the killer right like he's got to be the killer right <laughs> And I'm like, well, they never show him. They just cut to the bus. And I was like, no, give me the killer. Um, <laughs> so, I I mean, it's unique. It's it's definitely a different range in, you know, like pushing your mind to uh, kind of uh, play with all of these uh, different stories and, and things that are happening and, um, and the characters that are involved with everything. Um, so I, I enjoyed a lot of aspects of it. I just needed to be able to 
be able to focus more on which parts were real and which parts were story in terms of that kind of thing. I think I mostly got it, but uh, that was my only little like hang up. But yeah, it was it was an interesting fun little thing. I think you mostly thing. got it because it's it's <laughs> mostly chronological, right? Um, and they they give that away right at the beginning by starting the movie and then pulling back and revealing that it's the set. And so pretty much anytime someone says something like, you know, well, what I would do in a movie and then you cut into their movie and the whole, like, like, I mean, I guess the most obvious one is, you know, the, the burned woman who, like everyone walks away from her when she's about to give her idea. And then the two nurses like ask her, no, what's your idea? Well, her movie is the, the real acid gets used. And then, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, I think that's, I think that, that's the that, one that really kind of got me. Yeah. That's maybe the most obvious one to, I thought in the movie, as far as that, cause like they're literally coming out and telling you this is, this one's my idea of what's going on. Right. Um, that whole scene where they're all just kind of sitting around the log and it seems like it's a real scene that's going on. And then that pulls back and that's the movie that they're just making with the nurses because <laughs> they're just making a movie with the nurses, but yeah. it's the second time they've done it with the nurses. Like they have that earlier scene where he's sitting in the car talking to her, right? And it pulls right. back and reveals that that's a movie that they're because they're guarding the equipment, right? They can just do whatever they want with the equipment. <laughs> yeah. So, Christine, how about you? I got a little hung up. I thought the least obvious one was the burn one until they showed okay. him at the end, like with the new face and everything. I was like, oh, okay, so this isn't real. Like, but he still talks like he's got yeah, lips in front of exactly, his mouth. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, he has like then, perfect teeth and he can't yeah. di- dictate words. <laughs> His diction's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Other than that, uh, I loved all of the different symbolism, like the the comparisons the movie has uh, with different, like, Nazi, like, different things. I was like, oh, they're making, like, a Nazi movie here. Uh, uh, The different things they would do. And then just the different comparisons between the director and what he was filming. Uh, like, uh, at the end of the movie, he, he was like, oh, she dropped the accent at the end there. And then the director immediately dropped his German accent, too. I his that. German Ger- Yes, exactly. Accent. His, like, real fake German accent. Um, but I loved that. And then, uh, when she's in the cab with the guy and uh, she's like, oh, this is your book. What What's it called? And he's like, oh, you know, it's called My Struggle. It's hard to translate, but I, I decided My Struggle. Yeah. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. Hitler's book. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of good uh, little, little one-liners yeah. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, that was really great. And then I loved how you would, uh, it made it seem from the description, like she would, the main actress was going to have an issue almost like getting to like identify with her 
co-stars, but immediately she's, like, getting in there and, like, communicating well with them, mm-hmm. like, not having any of those issues, and it's like, okay, <laughs> I like that, so. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. they do a good job of hiding what the movie's about in the synopsis for this film. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, and it's... uh. Like, the director's accent bothered the hell out of me until I figured out, oh, this is intentional. Like, that's supposed to be a clue that it's not real. Like, he's not... It's not even that his German accent is fake. It's that he's not really the director of this movie. He's the guy playing the director. It's the one cut of the dead director role all over again like this is one cut of the dead with like an inception level on top of it so (laughs) um also uh one one last thing i did like uh when they were talking about the doctor with the skincare doctor at the end Mm -hmm. uh and they both do the one of us one of us thing from freaks yes loved that yep uh yeah there's all sorts of little things little running jokes and things that are in there that are really funny there's like a it's like the boom operator and the sound engineer that their job like the whole movie is to like stand in a hallway like between shots or to walk through a shot and transition something so they're always wiping the scene in like an improv set like they're always like changing it over but they're always saying it's an all black cast. It's an all female cast. It's an all, and they're always saying like some like crazy concept, you know. <laughs> it's really, really a funny uh, ongoing joke. Uh, Alicia, how about you? Uh, I had a tough time with this movie. I think I was tired. I think there were some things that I. There were some things I was getting and I was liking and I liked a lot of the lines in the dialogue and kind of the movies within the movies and stuff like that. But I kept getting hung up on the bad acting and like sometimes I couldn't move forward. Like I was, it was taking me out of what they were saying and what they were setting up as like the fake movie scenes and stuff like that. And I just kept going, God, that sounded painful. Like I'm in pain listening to them talk right now in this conversation. So for me, it was tough because there was a lot of good stuff in there, but I kept getting distracted by going, gosh, you could have played that so much better. You know what I mean? And I, which is the intention, right? but was really hard for me then to focus on what was happening sometimes. So I think that would have been something where if I, I almost needed to be clued in earlier because it was, then that would help me, I think, get over that hurdle a little bit for me because I was having trouble focusing on some of the stuff and all that interplay of things yeah. because you probably of enjoy it more on a second viewing yeah probably if that was so. your experience with uh-huh. it because um yeah I it's disorienting to say the least but it does like at least for me like and I, I'm guessing for Zach too like having been on production sets like this sort of we're watching people make a movie and even the stuff they're saying that's not in the actual movie that they're making isn't always necessarily believable or ridiculous or it sounds ridiculous. Um, like that whole interview she has with the journalist 
mm-hmm. that's like the most trite contrived like she sounds like the most naive like like I'm not going to ruffle any feathers with anything that I say and that that sort of thing going on um you know all the mentions of of uh Orson Welles can play a black man Daniel Day-Lewis can play a black man um these these are all like pretentious Hollywood or indie filmmaker things like just shit people talk about on a set or like you're making a movie and it's like I need this guy to hold the boom mic and yeah dude Daniel Day-Lewis can play a black man just hold that fucking boom mic all right yeah I think I just I think you're right if I saw it again I don't know if I'm going to jump right in and watch it again but I needed more patience I think and more of looking for those little things because I just let it kind of get under my skin a little bit (laughs) and I was like okay that's good I really like that but oh gosh now like I'm having trouble focusing again so and so then if I'm not focusing then I'm missing a lot of that stuff that was uh you know and those references when they happened I thought were great and really you know a fun satire of a movie but then I just stuff got lost overall for me I think yeah Nathan how about you so you go to an indie film festival and you see a bunch of movies that you're not going to probably ever get a shot at seeing again unless you go buy a weird obscure copy or if you dig it out on streaming somewhere. And this is that film that's made by a bunch of D-lister Hollywood people who've had some semblance of major roles in like minor things and mm-hmm. um, they are all directed by the guy that wants to make a movie for himself because I just want to direct. And Mm -hmm. it's of course, you know, the trope for those types of movies, it's a, it's a movie about movie making, of course. And this one is of course a movie within a movie within a movie. And I've seen this a few times. And while I think there's some good moments in it, um, I, I struggled with a lot of it. I think it, I liked the idea that the movie was trying to accomplish way better than the, the execution. And um, most of it had a lot to do with the acting. I think now I couldn't tell, and maybe someone can clarify this for me, but because it's so bad, I mean, the actor, the, the acting on it reminded me of like that stilted dialogue from the lobster a little bit. It's, it's all intentionally bad. The only person in this that really had a strong, character and role in this was the guy playing Rosenthal, uh, which Mm -hmm. is the guy with the face. His acting was really good. It was kind of like, okay, great. So I didn't know if they were trying to dumb down everybody else's acting to the point where his really shone. And that was kind of the whole point of the movie or the other way around. Like, no, they just really aren't that good. And he actually really is that good. I couldn't tell if it was a feature of the movie or if it was a flaw of the movie, but I, you know, I liked a lot of the ideas. It's a movie full of really interesting and great ideas of like what to do with the script, have these little niche moments. Like there was a moment in particular where uh, two of the guys are kind of talking, they're sitting on beds and they're talking about how things would be different if they'd had the surgery or whatever. Yeah, I bump my head a lot. Yeah, I do this. And the, the short guys the other way around, like, yeah, I. I don't remember what he says, but there's just, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of little bitty good moments in the movie, but they don't add up to a good movie for me. Um, so I, I kind of struggled with this one quite a bit. 
you have to appreciate an indie movie because of what it has to pull off on what is obviously an incredibly low budget and just who they can possibly grab to be in it. Um, I think three actors in particular really irritated the crap out of me. One was the director. One was the leading woman. And the other one was the guy playing the doctor who had way more lines than he was deserving. Um, the only reason I wanted to watch this movie and continue to watch it was because Rosenthal, the guy playing Rosenthal, and, and he progressively got better as the movie went, too. Yeah. But he was easily the only reason I was stuck on her, sticking around. Okay. Fair enough. So, um, for me, um, I'll start by saying that I thought this movie was great. Um, it's a really interesting way to do a uh, a sort of uh, oh god uh, an anthology movie um, where it's a bunch of little stories stacked up with kind of an overarching story that kind of wraps around it. And so the making of this movie that we kind of think we're seeing being made isn't really the movie that's being made all the time. Um, And the movie that we see being made at the beginning of the movie is a different movie from the movie that we see being made later in the movie and uh, different again from the movie we see at the end of the movie. Uh, The choice to uh, make that so subtle that you can't tell necessarily when it switches unless you're really paying attention and really looking out for it is I thought was was cool was an interesting thing to do um, the way that they shoot uh, you know it, the movie is always from some camera perspective of a non-character you know no one is holding this camera that the movie's taking place in so everything you're seeing is something that the actual director of chained for life is making happen. Um, I talked about how the director was annoying. He was annoying to me until I figured out what was going on with the movie. And then it was like, okay, I get it. And I think Nathan, the problem that you had with the, the other performances, I think are the same way. It's just not as I, I wasn't as dialed into who's doing the best job acting because I was constantly trying to figure out the mystery of, okay, whose movie is it now? And, and when's it going to break down? And when are we going to switch into something else? I think the overall goal of it, you know, beyond being just kind of an anthology of a bunch of different ideas is to show all of these different perspectives that these different people have so we have the fake director's perspective and you kind of see that going on in the dailies and and those sorts of things um i think maybe my favorite scene of the movie is all on the lead actress's face while she's watching the dailies and she's like freaked out and embarrassed for the the guy whose name I can never remember. Uh, Rosenthal. Rosenthal. She's like freaked out and embarrassed for him, but also kind of like starts to empathize with him and starts to see like how good he is. And that whole thing happens where we don't see what's on the screen. Like it's just colors coming off the screen into their faces, but it's all playing on her face. Um, I think things like that are really cool. Um, so 
before the movie even starts, it's it 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 opens up with this really pretentious quote from Pauline Kael, and I just wrote Pauline Kael can go to hell um, <laughs> in my notes. It's like the first thing I wrote down. Um, I also wrote down that in the cast, uh, Keith Polson as an asshole. That was one of the one of the credits. Um, and then it begins with her very very slowly walking down a hallway. So, writing jokes again, I wrote previously on the walking slow. Um, there's a when we're hearing about the uh, the killer with the burned face. It's on KFKA News, like Kafka News, really? Okay. Um, I let that director who annoyed me got the biggest laugh out of me in the entire movie when he said, like Orson Welles in the Muppet movie. Mm-hmm. That, that part <laughs> was good. That was a really oh good Oh my yeah. God, that scene is funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I that, that shot of her reacting to the dailies is great. Um, and yeah, I think Rosenthal gets better and better and better throughout the movie um, because he has to carry all of these different stories kind of on his back. Um, the actor that plays the doctor is there to be like the ultimate sort of nice guy actor who's not really a great guy, but he acts like he's the greatest thing ever and acts like he's really encouraging and really sweets everybody and like weirdly kisses the girl goodbye. And, like, we don't know how to feel about it and she doesn't know how to feel about it. And then he's just sort of like, okay, bye at the end. So, um, I dug it, but I can see where, um, you know, under the right circumstances, I would, I would probably not like it as much. So Josh, what the hell, man, (laughs) why we watch chain for life? Why did we watch chain for life? So, um, yeah, I, uh, I got to see this about the same time I saw first love, uh, in the theater and um Jess Wexler the main actress was there to do a Q&A afterwards and uh she's not a million miles away from her character in this movie i have to say um yeah. the uh the interlocutor was like uh you know so what was it like working on it and she's like well those people are like this and those people are like that and uh still kept othering the uh the actors with their um whatever you want to say their special abilities or what have you um their differences in appearance um but she um she was in teeth and that's where i first saw her mm-hmm. um and uh liked her from that so that's what drew me to this movie is just and that and charlie corso the little kid from dick tracy he was the director <laughs> um yeah he was hair director um that was weird for me to see him in a new movie <laughs> what 30 years after uh, I would saw him as a little kid. Um, but uh, yeah, lots of little touches Altman esque with the overlapping dialogue. I felt um, a little bit of state and Maine too. If anybody's seen that movie, that mammoth yeah. movie. Yeah. Mammoth. Um, with the film crew just bouncing all over each other and who needs this and who can get that. And um, uh, you got to talk to Tetralini. That's um, Madame Tetralini from Freaks um, mm-hmm. reference that I enjoyed. Um, a lot of good little sideways references to uh, 
to Todd Browning there um, in that movie. Uh, yeah, I, I liked what it was trying to say. And now I will say to, uh, Alicia and Nathan's point too, when I started watching it for the second time again, I was like, uh, oh, I don't remember the dialogue being this stilted the first time I saw it. And I was like, this, this could be bad. Uh, eventually I eased into it and I was like, no, no, no. Okay. All right. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, but, uh, it, it's just, it, it's so, I mean, and this is a, this is even a cliche to th- say about actors, mm. but it's so true to what actors are really like. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to interview a great actor mm. about the story of a movie, or you know, or ask them what what they think think their character was thinking about in this thing. Mm. You're you are going to be disappointed by their answer, right? Yeah. Uh- the uh, the reporter's name was Bechtel also, uh, which I liked a lot. Uh, <laughs> the which, Bechtel test. Yeah, I don't know that the movie actually passed the Bechtel test, but... Uh, Fuck no. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, every time there were women talking, they were talking about a man at some point, or a half-man, half-woman, at least. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Hermaphrodite. Hermaphrodite, yeah. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, I do like how it was kind of one step forward, two steps back for the main actress. Like she did get an empathy for Rosenthal, but then she'd just be chatting with one of the, like the makeup lady and just be like, I don't know. I don't think they're real Siamese twins or I don't think, you know, these people Mm -hmm. are, I think they're faking it. So she's still excited about the skin cream at the end. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) So she didn't learn a lot of lessons in this. I feel like, um, she, she maybe just moved a few inches forward on the empathy scale. And I like that. That was one of the first emotions he asked her to, to reflect back at him was empathy and she had no idea. That was how to the do one it. she couldn't do. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, anyway, yeah, the performances, yeah, you know, take or leave them. But I, I love the way this movie was written and uh, the scenes within the scenes, um, figuring out who's telling which stories. Um, uh, Christine and I had been talking about the, uh, the campfire woman, the burned woman story. And, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, she was saying maybe it was Rosenthal's story because he gets to be a waiter in the story. And I was like, but wait, he said he wanted to be a waiter in somebody else's story. So I don't know if that's even his real thing or not. So I like what's real and what's not real. And uh, yeah, yeah. well, and there's another huge clue about um, the end when she's talking to the killer and you're not sure if that's actually happening or not. Right. And where that where where they clue you in that that's not real is he does the same thing with math that she was doing with emotions mm. in their yeah. acting exercise. Right. She like, you can't think of a number. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, there, there's some beautiful circularity in the movie too. Yeah. Um, a lot of lines come back later um, in different forms or dialogue exchanges. So I don't know. I was, I was impressed with it. Uh, I definitely understand people's reservations uh, for sure. Um, But uh, yeah, I thought it would at least give us something to talk about for a little while. So that's why I picked it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I still have like another 30 hours on my voodoo rental. (laughs) So uh, I might share it with Hannah before I run out of time. Or I might go back to watching crap. Who knows? <laughs> it's, it's me we're talking about. Um, but uh, yeah. Any other thoughts from anybody? 
Josh, do you know, like, did you have any insight as to like why the director chose the or writers, you know, like why they went this direction or anything that's more so, complex or in depth to it? I mean, I'm, I'm just so curious cause it's, it's very unique. Yeah. So I, the one thing I did read about the director, Adam Schimberg, Schimberg, I forget his last name, but apparently he had an operation for a cleft palate when he was much younger and had like some very people judging him for his looks kind of thing early on. So this was his like exercising those demons a little bit, but interesting. Yeah. Taking it probably a lot further than uh, he, his own personal experience would have been. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's and, what I read. That's interesting. Cause they even mentioned that one of the um, actors in the, movie mentions it because they talk in the campfire scene about mm. how like he was operated on as a child like and he's Bruno like I had, or something yeah, yeah he has i had no choice you know so I, that's probably i think probably that most direct correlation to that which is very interesting yeah indeed and um uh i know one review i read started with a pauline kale go fuck yourself uh thing too <laughs> uh, which was uh was nice yeah um but yeah, I haven't seen any of this guy's other movies though. He made a lot of short films um, and maybe one or two features, but this is the first one. There was something he made before this yeah. um, that a lot of people brought up in their reviews and said that the promise of what he did before is coming to fruition in this movie that like he made a feature before and it had some flaws and stuff, but that they really, thought this one was was good too and they levy a lot of the same criticisms that we have at it um but still they're all positive overall reviews it actually has like a 97 percent on rotten tomatoes from critics so wow um you know and it's not all it's not all a bunch of like you know blog web critics it's like the new york times is in there and rogerebert.com is in there and stuff like that so yeah Seems to be well liked. Yeah. Cool. Well, Zach, it is your turn to suggest a movie. What would you like for us to watch next? Yeah, I'm going to pick the movie mid nineties from 2018. Um, so Jonah oh, Hill right. directed film. Um, if uh, mid nineties follows Stevie, a 13 year old in 1990s era, Los Angeles, who spends his summer navigating between his troubled home life and a group of new friends that meets uh, that he meets at a Motor Avenue skate shop. Hey, oh boy, here we go. Uh, sounds <laughs> good. Well, uh, thanks everybody for the discussion on Chain for Life. Thanks everyone out there for listening. We'll see you on the next deeply discussing movie podcast. Mm-hmm.